Hello, I'm Kirk Keating. And I'm Michelle McCarran. And, and together, together we are adding to the equation to share with you what teaching and learning mathematics sounds like. With inspiration from our math heroes, we're echoing some important messages about teaching and learning mathematics. We want to invite you to learn alongside us in our math journey so that we can all grow as math learners. Today, we're really excited to talk to Allie Hayward. Allie is a grade seven mathematics teacher in Chignecto Central Regional Center for Education. And Allie has been implementing the Building Thinking Classroom framework in her grade seven mathematics classroom. And we'll chat with us today about how that transition is going for both her and her students. Hey, Allie. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll get right to it, Allie. Um, yeah. If you don't mind, just um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I'm a grade seven math teacher at McLeod Consolidated. Um, I've taught a lot of things here over the years, um, family studies, ELA, social studies, health. Um, and the last four years, I've been teaching math seven primarily with a sprinkle of health in there. Really excited to uh, just to kind of hear your how your journey started, how it's going within uh, the building thinking classroom framework. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess guess more math specific, um, but I th I think we'll we'll start with this is something I'm I'm really curious on, and I think about this a lot um, as a teacher or an, as an educator. Um, who are some math heroes that have inspired you in the past or that are currently inspiring you? Yeah, well, I really love to learn, and I'm constantly trying to improve my skills and my understanding as a teacher. Um, and so I'm always looking for books and podcasts and, and other teachers on social media to like give me some ideas or just to kind of get a look at what they're doing. Because as teaching, you're, you're fairly isolated sometimes. You don't know what's going on in the building even around you, right? Um, so obviously, Peter Lillydahl's book really changed my whole perspective on teaching and my approach, how I did it. Um, but like a lot of other people have kind of added to that framework. Am I, how I've interpreted it and made use of it. So um, I'm a weekly listener to the, the Making Math Moments um, That Matter podcast, right? With John Orr and Kyle Pierce. So uh, I listen to their nuggets um, fairly regularly and uh, I get a lot of other ideas or I get a, a lot of ideas from their show and sort of helps me to check in and reflect on my teaching to be like, I never thought of that or, oh, I'm doing too much of that. Right. So just to have, even though I don't know them, even though I'm not bouncing ideas off of them, just to, their ideas really do inspire me quite a bit. Um, so obviously by reading lots of good things from math. So people like Joe Bowler and Marion Small and Marilyn Burns through like the math up um, program have really um, lit a spark in a lot of the things that I do. Um, and then there's this person named Mona Eel, who I follow on uh, social media, and she does Mona Math. And it's elementary focused, but I find as a grade seven teacher, like sometimes I'm, I'm feeling a lot of elementary vibes in my room. So her big thing, uh, she's got a podcast and she's got a website. She's a, you know, like a online presence, but um, she's currently got a, a challenge about increasing student 
um, engagement. And that's something I'm constantly working on. Um, and so, so those kinds of things sort of inspire me to try stuff and to, to be okay with things not working because I hear other people, it's not working. And then at a much more local level, like within our building, I have a colleague, Lori Reeves, and, and I regularly pick her brain about things. Um, and she's really mentored me over the last four years to be a better math teacher. And uh, she's fairly veteran to it. So I'm really fortunate to have her to, to soak up lots of her knowledge from. Yeah. Awesome. So I kind of heard the kind of different levels of, of PLCs, right? Like we, and I know I've been in this, in this world uh, for a little bit now with, with Twitter. So, you know, your Joe Bowlers, your Peter Lilly at alls. Um, you mentioned uh, Mona Eel, uh, Marilyn Burns. Um, this is, it, it's almost like on-demand um, professional development um, what are your thoughts on that as far as, as Twitter and, and the podcast you were talking about? Well, it's nice because you're right. It is on demand. So when I'm, when I walk in my dog or when I'm driving to get my kids or driving to school in the morning, I can put on a podcast and, uh, pick and choose what I kind of want to listen to. And I mean, we have our, our PLC, um, that, you know, you folks are, um, providing for the thinking classroom, but sometimes I don't have anybody to, to talk to about things. And so it is a great way to develop professionally when I can and at the rate that I kind of want. And sometimes I'll just throw myself into it. Oh, I've got a lot of ideas. And other times I'm too busy. So it is nice to sort of self-pace and, and, and pick and choose what I want to do. Um, whereas, you know, whole school PD is very valuable, but it doesn't always as a grade seven math teacher, it doesn't check the boxes that I'm really looking for. So it is super awesome to have this um, community online that you can pick and choose and um, sort of get people to inspire you based on what you're interested in, not just here are some ideas that you can really get that uh, specific targeted thing you're looking for. It's cool. And for free, which is even better. And it's it's so cool to hear. Um, I, I know each time I get a chance to talk to talk to any any math educator that is on Twitter or listening to podcasts, there's a new name that that I'm introduced to. So I'm I'm really excited to dive into Mona Mona Eels' um, work. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. Her challenge this week was one of the things about math norms in a classroom, and that's a thing I I struggle with. So I was like really dialed into working on building those with students. And um, even like I said, it's elementary, but it is so valuable. And we've really been able to um, focus on that this week in particular, which has been nice. Really cool. Really cool. So you mentioned, Allie, that, you know, you obviously were introduced to the book, Building Thinking Classrooms and Mathematics. And I wonder, Kirk and I wonder, where did you hear about that book? Like what kind of first sparked your interest? And then what did that journey look like as you started to read it and realize this is something you wanted to try? How did you bring that to your classroom and to your students? And, and how did that transition go for you? Right. Well, like I mentioned, I enjoy learning. And over the summer, I I love to just investigate things like the principles to action book. I just took that home in the summer and I was I'm going to investigate this. And we'd had it for some PD um, through one of our math mentors that, that, you know, the last couple of years. 
but I hadn't dug into it. So I did that and I started internet searching and trying to find other ideas. And Peter Lillydahl's like the framework kept coming up. And I was like, okay, well, who's this guy? What's this about? And so I dug a little more and I found some free things like people's articles and reflecting on the book. And I was like, whoa, this seems like totally my jam. Um, like all these great ideas from physically moving parts of your room to having kids up. And these just were like, awesome. This totally, totally jive with what I was, you know, I kind of liked my class to be. It sounded like it checked a lot of boxes. And so I reached out to um, one of our math mentors and I said, Hey, have you heard of this book? And she was like, no way. Yeah, I have, but we're going to do that this year. We're going to talk about this. And I was like, yes, okay, this is it. I'm going to get this book. And so I I ordered it and it came in August and I gobbled it up. I don't think I've read a PD book ever faster. And then I was just so amped up to try to do it all in September, which ambitious. Absolutely. Um, So I, I set it up. Um, I, I didn't know how it would work. I just threw everything at it and I had some whiteboards got some more whiteboards, stuck them on my walls. I had chalkboards made do with that. Um, and I really muddled through it. The kids were pretty patient with me. Um, for the most part, I started with those first two toolkits, um, and spent the first few work weeks of school trying to like, you know, using those non-curricular tasks, figuring out what this looked like for me, what this looked like for my students. Cause on paper, it looks like, well, this is how it's all going to roll out and it's going to be great. And then in reality, it's like, oh, I got a lot of personalities in my room. So figuring all of that out and managing even like the little things like where where do the erasers go? Where do the markers go? Where do I get those? I don't know. So there was a lot of things that I sort of like muddled through. um, And I've gained a lot of perspectives in September. But I, I do it again. You know, Um, I'd encourage any teacher to, to muddle through and sort of figure it out. Yeah, even if it's right now or at the beginning of the year or wherever you want to do it. I'd like to kind of echo that too, Allie. The, uh, there, there is no perfect time to try to implement something like this, is there? Um, no, no. Even uh, though you want there to be. Right? <laughs> um, I, I, love, I love the word modeled. I love, <laughs> I love that. Um, well, how did your students respond, Allie? When because I'm assuming this was as new for them as it was for you in terms of what mathematics class looked like and felt like and sounded like. So was there were they on board and as excited as you were? Was was there some resistance? Did you talk to them about this could be a shock? Did you do that before, or after? What did that look like for them? Well, I think starting the year with it made it like, well, this is what it is. This is what Mrs. Hayward's doing. And uh, for better or for worse, that's what we're doing. A lot of resistance from kids. They don't, it totally pushed them out of their comfort zone. Um, had to spend a lot of time figuring out like, okay, well, how, how far can I push this? Like students to, to get out of this. And I, I was pretty relentless with implementing. So um talking a lot about what it looks like, what it sound, what it should look like, what it should sound like, what it should feel like. And, and like I mentioned, I'm still talking about norms. So it is an ongoing process and having to come back to it regularly is essential for me and for them, for sure. Um, I was honest with them. And, you know, when 
like, like I said, the markers and the erasers, they, they help me brainstorm ideas of how to make it better. Cause I was like, oh, where are we, is it better to have them all in one spot? Is it better to have them at your stations? Like, I, I don't know. So we figured that out together. And I do think those kids that gave the input valued that. Um, I certainly valued it, but it felt more like we're learning through this together. Right. And um, that was a nice feeling. And there's still frustrations on my end and their end, but I do think big picture, it's beneficial. What, what was, what were a few things that you um, specifically had to change Allie um, in order to implement that uh, first toolkit? Right. Well, personally, I had to change how I think about teaching um, which is pretty big. Uh, I was taught to mimic. I honestly genuinely thought that's how you teach everything. I thought as a good teacher, I teach a thing, they do it, or I, we do it together. You know, the, I do, we do, you do. I genuinely thought that was how you taught. So I had to like huge paradigm shifts in my own personal approach to teaching. Um, so that was a big change. <laughs> and then, you know, things like giving the task and, and where to do that. And like that whole defronting the room piece, that was a big change. So my language uh, around our classroom had to change. Um, me not talking as much had to change because I'm a talker <laughs> and not talking is weird to me. So when there was silence, I had, I struggled through that to like, okay, no, they have to just figure it out. So those were some some big changes right off the bat um, that I had to think about and really put the time into how am I going to do that? Right. So I was happy to have started thinking about it in the summer because it gave me that space where I wasn't like in September thinking about collecting all the forms and doing all the paperwork and all of that on top of it. So um, yeah, it gave me some space and some time to figure that out a little bit beforehand. You mentioned that the the talking piece is is still something that you intentionally have to kind of check yourself on, and I get that. I'm sure many teachers enjoy talking, which is probably the reason why we entered the profession. Um, are there any challenges that you can think of specifically um, aside from that 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 kind of you still need to check yourself and be intentional and remind yourself? And you reflect on things and say, I'm, you know, this is kind of where I think I am on that continuum of getting there um, that maybe seem to be moving forward a little more slowly for you, a little more challenging. Yeah, well, there's a number of things that I don't know how to mesh still. And some I'm working through, like things I really liked about how I used to teach and things that I like about now and like how to blend those. So I actually um, got in touch with Kirk earlier in the year and I was like, how do I do small group instruction? And Kirk can attest, I was like, just convinced I wasn't doing it because small group instruction was coming over to like the bean table and having a conversation with predetermined kids. And that was how I thought small group worked. And so I had to wrap my head around that I'm doing small group instruction every day when the kids are at the whiteboards. It's just not as pre-planned as it, as it used to be. So it's more on the fly. So that was a big challenge for me to get my head around. And I like bugged 
Lori about it. And I even like, I, I, well, I talked to Kirk and I talked to Pam and I talked to all kinds of people who I was like, I can't get this, but I, I figured it out, you know? So that was one challenge. Um, if I think about other things that still kind of, of give me a bit of thorn on my side is, is kids accepting that they have to work in other, with other kids. And in grade seven, it's such a social struggle for a lot of kids. And so random grouping um, has been challenging and some days it works wonderfully. The kids that are together, it doesn't matter who they are, they work really well and they're on task and they're, they're, they're thinking. And other days it's classroom management to the nth degree and it's all I can do to, to keep everybody on task. And in a thinking classroom, I shouldn't be the, the person, right? So I find that kind of hard to, to sort of be like, okay, you can... Sometimes it's just a day. So to stick with it, um, it's been important. And so what I do often is I'll, I'll be like, okay, is it simple enough? Am I overthinking it? Like, where is that? So sometimes I'll actually go back to the book and be like, am I doing this right? I need to if I think about, am I overthinking this as I often do? And so sort of reminding myself that I don't have to have every second of every lesson planned. Things can be organic. Things can kind of just flow. It takes a lot of the pressure off me. And I, I think that pressure, um, the lack of pressure and the laid backness transfers to the students and does sometimes lend itself to a better class and reduces some of those challenges. So, I mean, I don't want to focus too much on challenges because you could probably talk about that for a long time. But I do think I've learned um, ways to get around them in the moment better than I did in September. So that's some some growth, which is encouraging. Al, you mentioned um, earlier on um, kind of changing your beliefs on on maybe what what mathematics um, is and can be for students. Um, what are some other maybe values and beliefs about teaching and learning mathematics that you see embedded in this in this framework? Well, the the focus on collaboration and um, perseverance is it's great. Like it it doesn't matter if you're in math class, you're in ELA, you're a job, you're with your friends. Um, those big ideas um, are like front and center in a thinking classroom. And so that real life skill really aligns with, you know, a, a belief of what we do in schools, like why we're here um, to teach things. And if we're learning math along the way, like, awesome, that's even better. Um, but those skills of learning to work with other people, learning to support each other, to be kind, to accept um, it's, it's excellent. And I, I think it's helped remind me that that is something that I value and is a value in our society as a whole, as opposed to, you know, the math outcomes and the indicators that I probably was more focused on beforehand. It helps me to take a step back and be like, what, what are we doing here? What's the outcome of our whole day? Not just what of this little specific math outcome, right? So teaching kids to be compassionate and, and value the ideas of others is, has been very, um, well, it links very well within that framework, but it's been very, 
nice to see and it, it, it's rewarding, I guess, um, at the end of the day. And I'm like, yeah, that happened. That's great. I didn't expect it to happen. But, you know, you get that that good teacher vibe that you hope for. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does, it's like, yes, we did it. We did it. That's It's super interesting because kind of the practice that you talked about being most challenging, getting kids to work randomly together and building community seems to have the biggest payoff or it seems to kind of be like you said, the reason that we're here to build that community and help kids learn how to thrive and value others in their community. And um, when we had an opportunity to talk to Peter, we talked about the implications for what that meant for all of our learners and kind of the the barriers that kind of fell away and were broken down just through that practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, almost kind of give you the the resilience to keep trying that payback is so big so um one other thing about the random grouping that we're interested in asking about is kind of the the access and equity that the framework kind of allows for all learners we know with the especially with the inclusive education policy coming out soon we know that that's what learning you know we know it should look like and the province is telling us, you know, it will look like that in all of our buildings and classrooms. So how has the framework kind of allowed for all learners to enter into the mathematics and to the that community you talk about? Right. It It's really been amazing to see how um, students who are on adaptations or who are on IPP or students who regularly need that challenge, this framework really supports all of them without um, targeting anybody without excluding anybody, without highlighting anybody. Um, it, it's, it's amazing. And I've often struggled with implementing all of the adaptations. It's a lot and it's very overwhelming, especially when I first started, um, teaching, I, I really was at a loss as to how to support all of these students in all the ways they needed. But this, this framework, it lends itself so naturally to students helping others. And with that foundation of a community, well, it's just, we're all in this together. And I found it's really pushed um, kids who need a push in the sense of like grade seven math. Yeah, we're good with that. We need, we need a little more encourage or I'm not enrichment, but they just need to be challenged a bit more. It really has impressed me to see how those kids have responded to me challenging them in these groups. So like communicate more. And they're like, what? I've never had to communicate more. What do you mean? This is math class. Is my answer right? Let's move on. Um, So having this breadth of learners and getting them to work in different ways and pushing them and pulling them um, to sort of rise to this community collaboration challenge has been super cool and frustrating at times for them, I think. Um, But today I had a random group and uh, there was students, one student who was on IPP one student who excels quite much, uh, very much at math, and then another student who's on adaptation. And they just randomly were all in the same group. And I'd never, I'd never seen them together. And it was the coolest group, I think, in that class that day. The work, the roles they played, the sharing, the talking, it, it was, it was awesome. And I think before this year, I would never have put them in the same group because on paper, one student's on an IPP. Another student has certain adaptations, and then I probably want to push a kid in another way. So why not put them all together? They're all kids. They're all learning. Um, 
So it really has sort of like revealed a lot to me about the resiliency and the capacity of kids and their abilities to just learn from each other, no matter what their needs are. It is really cool. That is awesome. Like Peter talks about that and talks about um, everybody bringing a partial understanding to the table and that what you just described is valuing that and tapping into that really as to wherever we are along that trajectory of learning, we can all bring something to the table and we all learn more, not only mathematics, but about how to value others and, and listen to others and communicate our thinking. Cool. It's definitely been, I, I think that inclusion piece has been um, maybe the most visibly impressive thing I've seen. I mean, can't, we can see their thinking, I guess, but like just taking away those um, invisible barriers, I mean, you couldn't see them before, but like just seeing kids mesh together in different ways has been really interesting. And um, I'm glad I've been pushed to do it because it benefits everybody, certainly. Ali, I'm, I'm interested and curious on um, just just kind of echoing Michelle's question on on equity. You know, as educators, it's our job to provide that that access um, to math, um, deep understanding. How do you see the framework? How do you see the framework has helped you um, build students' agency in mathematics? Well, they've certainly helped. Develop, they've developed their abilities to work as a, a team, sort of, right? So when, when they're stumped, it's not just me that they're asking. They're asking their group members. They're looking around. Um, I've made manipulatives and things available in the classrooms. They can just go get the things they need and sort of help problem solve by themselves. And giving them that space, as we talked about um, in our last book club, just, I, I don't, I don't give them the chance to ask a million questions before they've started. And that's developed some resiliency in their ability to just start a problem. And I, I'm not going to tell you for, you got to leave me alone. You got to go figure it out. And I think that's helped um, curve some learned helplessness in students so that they're not immediately asking for help and they can sort of tackle things that they might not have ever thought they could tackle. And a neat thing of that too is, is the idea of thin slicing and how I've snuck kids harder questions and harder questions and harder questions, and they don't know it. But yet at the end of the class, they've done level four questions where they never would have selected to do a level four question, but they can do them. So kind of revealing that at the end to be like, ta-da, look what you just did. They get a, you know, a pretty good um, boost out of that because they would not have tried it. I would say, if I said, here's a level four question, try it if you like, but by making it incrementally hard, they're like, oh, I can do it. I can do that. Well, this one might be hard, but we'll work together and we'll get it. So that's been, um, a sneaky sneak that I feel this, this framework has really loaned itself to. And, and you mentioned the, um, students, you know, checking with each other within their own group. And you mentioned specifically looking around the room and Peter refers to that as that knowledge mobility piece. How did that go when you started to have students standing at vertical surfaces and they realized that they can see other groups work and actually it was going to be okay to use other groups work to learn? Right. Well, I first had to remind them that it's not cheating. 
It's not, I said, you can steal someone's idea. I even used that word. I said, you could steal an idea, but you got to use it. Like, I mean, what's the point of getting someone's answer if you have no idea what it is? Um, so I had to teach around that. I had to be like, it's okay. Like we, we don't work in isolation very often. You go to someone if you need help. And if you need help outside your group, you go get it. Um, so that took some time. Today, so now however many months into it, I wrote like the next step on a group's board and it made my heart so happy that three, like two or three other groups, they just started doing it. And I was just like, oh, they did it. They got it. It worked. And I didn't have to go and, and talk and, and fill the room with my voice. They just did it. And they just kept on mathing. And it, it made me so happy because it they really catch on, right? They did catch on. And I, I did have to go remind some other groups, but other groups caught on and it was very cool to see. And there is no, I don't think no one's like, mm, my next door neighbor has all the writing and I'm just going to copy it. No one's doing that. I wasn't sure if they'd do that, but no one's just straight up copying anybody's work. Um, I think other group members would literally call them out on it to be like, well, we didn't do that. That's not fair. Um, so there's some accountability from, from that, which is refreshing. Cause I really, I didn't know, I didn't know how it would go. Even though the book lines it all out, you really have to see it with your own eyes to be like, this is, this is what he's talking about. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I know Peter mentions it a few times. It's, it is a framework, right? It's, it's where it, <clears throat> it's where it meets you as, as a teacher, right? And whether we implement all strategies, um, some of the strategies, um, it, it's it's really where it meets meets you as a as a teacher. Um, Ali, you mentioned um, you mentioned giving space uh, to students, and I think that's that's a huge huge reflection. Um, I think the framework gives space for students to think, um, and it gives gives a space for students to enter and to have access to that thinking. Um, I just recently read an article on um, justification as an equity practice. So the idea that um, we need to get students to think mathematically and we need to provide that space for students to share that thinking mathematically. We have our own ideas of, of um, you know, concepts in math and how, how we view them and our understanding. But how do you see the framework um, in that regard, how does a framework, how do you think the framework gives a space for allowing students um, to think mathematically, that justification piece? Well, I often ask them to prove it, you know, because the question, am I right, comes up still very regularly. I had to bite my tongue. Sometimes I say yes, or sometimes I say no, and I have to go, no, I didn't mean to say that, but... Um, it happens. So I'll often say, well, prove it, prove it to me, prove it to yourself, prove it to your group mates, explain it. Um, what about this? Does it work here? Like those kinds of questions do help kids to develop that justification uh, ability. I did have a kid last unit, like blow my socks off. He figured out another way to find the area of a circle, like consistently. And I was like, well, that's not how I do it. And I was like, I don't understand. I didn't tell, actually, I did say, well, that's interesting. What are you doing here? Right. Cause I was convinced that it wouldn't work every time, but he proved it every time. And I went to one of our math mentors and I was like, what is this? What is happening? I, is this right? What? I asked the question, is this right? 
And so it, it was, and this kid did it. And I, I don't, I, I certainly don't think if he didn't have the space, the time, the whiteboard to just erase things, the group members to bounce the ideas off of, he would not have come up with that because I wouldn't have given him that space as a teacher before this year. I would have said, this is how you find the area of a circle. Let's practice it with this shape. Let's or this circle. Let's practice it with this circle. But I just said, here's a table. Here's some numbers. What's the pattern? Figure it out. And he did, but in a totally different way. And it was the coolest. And I made sure to tell him that it was the coolest thing I had seen in a while. So um, if I didn't give him that space, it wouldn't have happened. And it valued his different thinking and his group members and the whole class. I made a big stink out of it. And the class had to see how we think differently. And it's still right, you know, in quotation marks, since we're, we're right. Um, but it was, it was really neat. So space is very valuable. That is awesome. And yeah, you just, you just articulated that the importance of, of uh, students agency, right. And, and the access and giving that space for them to think and, and those verbal and I'm sure non, I wasn't there, but those nonverbal, you know, cues and, and discourses um, that you provide is, is so, so important. Thanks for sharing that. And no really problem. too, I think about um, like, that's what mathematics is, right? It's, it's looking at patterns and looking at relationships between and among representations and numbers. And that's and what you think. Speak, right. <laughs> like, and it's, and, uh, you know, those algorithms and procedures that we talk about that traditionally were shown to kids and, and, and taught to kids and told to kids, like they were discoveries. There was a time when they did not exist and people discovered them through exploration. So really having that happen allows your kids to see that it's not just a textbook full of things you need to memorize that's static, that has always been and will always be, but rather something that's exciting and more open and discoverable, which is pretty cool. It was an exciting math class. I was like, I'm taking your, I took a picture of it and I took his little paper that he had written some things on. And I was like, can I borrow these? (laughs) It was fun. That's awesome. And that was nice too. It was nice to have a fun math class. Right. And it it is, the framework has changed the vibe of the room to be more discovery and, and more fun most of the time. Um, And that's nice. It's nice to, to have fun at school, you know? And I can I can attest and verify that because I did have the opportunity to to visit Allie's room and see it in action. And the vibe is definitely different. That's not something that just you feel or kind of perceive. The vibe is different and kids are thinking and they are working collaboratively and they are um, talking about their learning and constructing that learning in a conceptual way. So that's uh, that's just not your take on it either, Allie. That's reassuring. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody, Allie, that uh, was kind of thinking about, maybe thinking about picking the book up, maybe thinking about implementing um, some of the practices? What what general advice would you give to somebody um, interested in the framework? Well, I'd certainly say to do it in any way that you can, in any way that you feel comfortable, whether it's just read the book, whether it's implement the first toolkit whether it's just kind of think, is this for you? Um, There are a lot of ways that you can 
use the framework without committing to the entirety of it. Like I haven't wrapped my head around assessment. I, I try, but that whole assessment piece is like, well, maybe next year I'll have a better handle on the first couple of toolkits so that I'm better at the the third and the fourth. Um, so I, I think that if you're interested in any part of it, it is worth investigating. Another piece of advice would be that it's not all going to work out right away. And that's okay to keep at it. Um, I have one class. It does not work with that class all of the time. Just whatever reason, I have four grade seven classes. And one class is just beyond challenging for personalities, classroom management, interest in math. Like there is a lot of variables there. And so I kind of pick and choose what I do with that class. Whereas the other three classes, we're all doing the same kind of thing, right? So I kind of cherry pick for that class and it's okay to have a different plan, even though we're, you know, we're working at the same goal, but um, I found it overwhelming to, to force it. And I was like, well, I don't have to, why do I have to? So knowing that you can scale it to however you need to has been like, well, a little bit of a life change. Cause just cause you commit to one part doesn't mean you have to commit to the rest. I think too, I, I listened to a podcast just last week, um, where Peter was interviewed and he kind of said in his words, exactly what you're saying. He said it it becomes dangerous when we look at frameworks or any teaching practices um, that are meant to be descriptions and people make them into prescriptions. And so I think that's right. Exactly what you're talking about. And like, like Kirk said earlier, you know, you, you look at the framework and you kind of meet it, have it meet you where you are. And if we're stuck that it's all or nothing, and if it's not perfect, we're not doing it. I think that that's where people kind of give up. Uh, and it's never going to be perfect. I mean, I, like I said, I, I'm struggling with assessments and making that um, mesh. But I mean, I'm not going to give up on the rest of it because that part's not working. I just got to figure out how to fine tune my assessment piece. Um, and and my, uh, uh, it'll come. I just need some more time with it to like sit and and figure it out. And I tell you, the kids are very patient with me, really, in the grand scheme of things, because I'm like, like today, I was like, we're going to do groups this certain way today. And they were like, all right, okay. And so they did it and, and like, it worked really well. And then I tried the same thing last week and it didn't work. It, the, it was through like a Google sheet, random group organizer thing. And, um, just to hold the kids more accountable because they would switch cards and that drove me bananas. Kids do that. And so this way I just put it up on the board and I randomize it. And they're just in groups that everybody can see who's in everybody's group, including me. So I tried it last week and for whatever, I figured out what the issue was. And so they, I was like, okay, that didn't work. Well, let's get the cards out. And we did it that way. And they were like, okay, they'll go along with it. So I, I don't know if I would have been as willing to just, try things uh this time last year now I'm, i am a little bit more confident um also without as many restrictions with covid i do feel a great sense of relief with am i allowed to share this marker am i allowed to share these things are they allowed to sit in different seats so i wasn't sure about some of those things as i went through and so i had to to change i, I couldn't just be like yes this is the framework we have to do it this way I had to be like, no, we can't do that part, but we can do this part. And maybe next week we can do that other part. Um, so having that 
flexibility with it and, and, and grace for yourself goes a long way. Yeah, and I think it's really important, Allie, um, that you're, you're, talking, you're talking with your students on trying new things. And just, I know, I haven't been in your class, but I know that your students think of you as a learner. Um, and I think that that is huge with kids. Yes. I, today they were like, is this right? And I was like, I don't know. I just made this problem up. I don't know. And so I sat with them with the fraction factory blocks and we figured some things out. And I was like, that's still an estimate. I don't know. And they were like, you're kidding. You know the answer. And I was like, I don't know. I just made this up. You know as much as I do. Right. They're making a, they're making a conjecture, right? And we're looking, <laughs> we're looking to see, see if that's true. Yeah. yeah that's mathematics. Well, it was so inspiring to hear uh, hear your journey so far, Allie, and we're, we're really fortunate um, to have you um, join our PLC and um, really fortunate to, to talk to you today. So we're, hopefully we can keep in touch and maybe do, do this again sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. It, it's been a pleasure and it's been nice to have the the, the PLC to, to bounce some ideas off of and hear other teachers who were doing this. So it's been a two-way, two-way appreciation here. So thank you. You're welcome. Really cool. Awesome, Allie. Thank you so much for your, um, you know, we know teaching practice can be pretty private and, and it people kind of hold their cards <laughs> close. So um you know, allowing yourself to be vulnerable to your kids along your journey and, and with us is really appreciated. Yeah, no so, problem. Right? You're welcome back anytime too, Michelle. And you're welcome oh, to stop by you. Kirk if you like. Yes, anytime. I, I'm going to no. take you up on that offer. For sure. Your students. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Kirk Keating. And I'm Michelle McCarran. And we're, we're adding, adding to the, the equation. equation.